Welcome to Pathway Church Online. We're honored you tuned in today. It's our purpose to help each person believe in Jesus, belong to a church family, become a fully devoted follower of Christ, and build God's kingdom. We believe today's message will help you do just that. It will change your life if you listen and apply it. For more information about Pathway Church, please visit www.pathwaychurchok.com. Now, let's go together and hear today's message. Well, we're going to call 26 Days of Prayer, and the whole focus of this month is what we've been kind of leading up to with the phrase, you don't be something, uh, or you don't become something unless you be something. In order to be something, in order to become something, you have to be something. And so we want to be known, we want to be a house of prayer, and you're not going to become a house of prayer unless you are a house of prayer. And so today we're going to start four weeks on 26 days of prayer. Today we talk on the lifestyle of prayer. Next week we're going to talk on the secret place. Definitely want to be here. Not super weird, not super spiritual, not super anything like that, but talk about the secret place, a place that you can go in your prayer to access the kingdom of God. We'll see you next week. It'll be here. But today we're going to start 26 days lifestyle of prayer and our text is Luke 11 for the reference that Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray in the life of Jesus. The disciples were the ones who saw the most. They saw everything. They saw the miracles. They saw the, the blind eyes open. They saw deaf ears open. They saw little children raised to life. They saw adults that were dead come to life. They saw uh, that Jesus, whenever he would speak to the wind, the wind would stop moving. They saw when, when Jesus would speak to the, the waves in the sea that were rocking, the boat would become still and the waves would stop. The, the disciples saw everything that Jesus was. The, the disciples were actually the, the ones who knew Jesus the most, who were the closest to Jesus. And in Luke 11, we find that the disciples asked Jesus a particular question. I don't know about you, but if it were me, I'm pretty sure I would be asking Jesus questions all the time. He would pray for somebody, like, how'd you do that? He would lay hands on a, a, a person who is possessed by demons, and that demon would come out, and the second, how'd you do that? You know, you, we're, we're curious. We went, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? How'd you do that? They don't know. They've never seen, we, we've seen that, we've heard this stuff in our whole life. They've never seen anything like this. So here's this man that comes and all of a sudden everything in this earth is under his authority and they want to know, how'd you do that? And then after a period of time being with Jesus, they saw the life that Jesus led. They saw the ministry that Jesus operated in all boiled down to one element. And that happens in Luke chapter 11, whenever the disciple says, teach us to pray. The disciples understood the life and ministry of Jesus only flourished by a person who spent time in prayer. The disciples figured out the secret. 
If you want to have the life and ministry that Jesus has, then you've got to do what Jesus is doing. In order to do what Jesus is doing and having the results that Jesus had, there had to be something that was causing all of that to take place. And after several years of traveling and seeing everything that Jesus did, the disciples figured it out, and it was that Jesus was a person who prayed. Jesus was a praying person. In Mark 1.35, in your notes, it says, Very early in the morning, Jesus got up and went to a solitary place to pray. You actually read this in several different parts of the New Testament, of the Gospels, that Jesus would get up very early. He would go to deserted places. He would go off by himself and pray in the Middle East. The day starts around 5 a.m. That's when the sun rises. So whenever you look at the scripture and it says Jesus would get up early, scholars conclude that Jesus would get up around 3 a.m. every morning and spend several hours excuse me, in prayer before the disciples would ever even catch up to him. Whenever they would meet, sorry, piece of water. Whenever they would meet Jesus in the village, Jesus would perform signs and wonders and, and, <coughs> and miracles. <laughs> it's so it's so heart wrenching. <laughs> she just called us miracle water. <laughs> <laughs> Prayer was a lifestyle for Jesus, not a one-time event. When something is a lifestyle, it means it is a part of who you are. People begin to recognize you because you are that. People see that in you. Before Jesus went to the cross, two of his disciples went with him. And as they prayed, Jesus prayed. And Jesus came back and said, how come you couldn't even pray and tarry with me for this long? Because Jesus was used to spending a massive amount of time in prayer. The disciples couldn't even keep up with the time that he would spend in prayer. Have any of you ever tried to just on a whim wake up and go run a 10K? 5K? Yeah, no, like three miles, six miles. You just on a whim decide to get up. Hey, I'm going to go run 10 miles today. Well, why not? It's good for you. It's healthy. Why wouldn't you just go out and run 10 miles? Because you would die. You would get about a mile into it and you would just lay on the side of the road and call Randy to come pick you up because you ain't going to make it any further. Why? Because you had never disciplined yourself at the beginning to work your way up to a result that achieved what you were trying to get. So what happens is, if we're going to run a 10K, you don't start today and go run 10 miles. I have this jogging app on my phone. Uh, I'm, I'm on a 90-day purpose to, to jog to get a, to a 5K. And whenever you do this thing, it asks you to, to run three days a week. So you run Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But whenever you first get started, what do you do? It doesn't have you run. You walk for six minutes. Like after two minutes, I'm like, oh, let's jog a little bit. And it says, no, walk. It tells me, hey, walk. It must be a man app. you got to have a voice telling me what to do all the time. It says walk. And so you walk, and then it says now jog. And so you turn jog, and you're like, I'm going to do this for four or five minutes. After one minute, what's it do? Walk. But I can keep on jogging. No, walk. There is a process that it is taking me through with proven results to get myself from couch to 5K. That's not the name of the app. Couch to 5K to be able to run the entire distance without stopping. This process that it goes through enables my body to be able to grow to be able to do something. 
So I don't just all of a sudden say, hey, let's go run a 10K, let's knock this thing out. No, there is a process that my body has to go through in order to do this. We're going to apply that to our spiritual lives. So many times you get this idea that I'm going to go pray for an hour. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to press into God this morning. I'm going to spend an hour with God. And you make it five minutes. And you've prayed for every single person in the entire world that you know about. And you've got nothing else to say. And you're like, how do I pray for an hour? It's because you have never built your spirit man up to sustain yourself to do that. We think it's completely normal when it comes to running. Why is it your spirit man the same way? The disciples figured something out about Jesus that his ministry was only found in prayer. He would get up before anybody else and spend time in prayer. And the time he spent in prayer is what enabled his ministry to flourish. We often have it backwards. We have this idea that we're going to pray for two minutes and then we're going to go and talk to somebody for four hours to help them get through their situation. Jesus would spend, using this as an example, I don't know for sure, Jesus would spend four hours in prayer and go talk to him for two minutes. Are you following that? We get the idea, I'm going to pray for two minutes. All right, God be with me, forgive me, and I'm going to go do this under your grace. Okay, boom, you go and pray for him, and nothing happens. So you begin to counsel him and go through this. Jesus said, I'm going to spend more time with the Father, with God, so the time that I spend here is preparing me for the short time that I'm going to spend over here. Look in your notes. Jesus spent more time with the Father, so his time with man was more beneficial for the man. The life and ministry of Jesus was sustained by a person who knew how to pray and seek the Father. Today, I want to discuss the reason why you need to become a person of prayer. And I have to admit a little bit, whenever I started laying out this message series, it, it got to me. I've always been someone who prayed, and then I realized that over the, the past six months, nine months, year, years, three years, I'm not that person anymore. And so today, I'm not just talking to you, I'm, I'm talking to myself as well, that we all have to come to this place of making prayer a lifestyle. If we want to see Jesus move in our lives, it's going to come from a lifestyle of seeking after him. And not just a Sunday morning, 30 minute event that we say this sustains me for my week. <laughs> it's not gonna work. So, but we need to understand what prayer is and what prayer does to become a lifestyle and to have the lifestyle of prayer that God wants us to have. So let's look in our notes. Let's fill in some blanks. The purpose of prayer. Prayer is, number one, dedication. Write that, write that down. It's on the screen if you don't know how to spell it. We dedicate ourselves to God in prayer. We need prayer. 
As I mentioned briefly just last week, we have to become dependent upon God. We use John 15 as the example. We're abiding in the mind. We've got to become dependent upon God in order to get through our day. You've seen the meme on, on social media that it says, I don't think I need God. And the lady comes back and says, ma'am, you need God to go to Walmart. Like, are you, like, you need God in your life. And if you don't have God in your life on a day-to-day -day basis, everything begins to fall apart. So what has to happen is through prayer, we become dedicated to God. John 15 in your notes says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We talked all about that last week, so I'm not going to get into it. But your prayer life is what literally allows you to abide in the relationship with what God wants you to have. The second part of that verse says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. One translation says you are cut off from your life source. When you get cut off, when you are apart from the one that sustains your life, life, you will lose your life. Listen to me when I say this. Without prayer, your spiritual life is cut off from God. You literally allow your spirit man that's on the inside of you that desires to be in the presence of God to be killed. That just kind of got real, didn't it? That man that desires to see God move in you. Let me ask you this. Have you ever gone a while without seeking God? And after, for me, I'll say it's like three or four days. You might be two weeks, maybe a month. I don't know. You start to feel a little different on your inside. You're just like, something feels off. If you don't acknowledge that feeling of being a little off, what happens? You continue to go further away from God. And all of a sudden, you call the church and you say, why? God so terrible? Why is God so distant from me? Why is this happening to me? God never moved. We just kept separating ourselves because of our own shame and guilt. God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to, to be in fellowship with you. But we allow our own lives to separate us because we have not developed a lifestyle of prayer. A few months back, um, there was this world-renowned uh, event that took place, and it was pretty cool if you're into space stuff. Some really well-off people invented, made these planes, these ships that they could go up into space. And they could go up there for a few minutes, and they came back to Earth, and both planes landed and it was really cool but all the part that you didn't see was whenever those people got inside the aircraft to go up they shut the doors and then they began to pressurize the inside of the cabin whenever the cabin was pressurized their life source of air was no problem whenever they went up into the sky they begin to check readings to make sure the cabin was still pressurized. If the cabin was not pressurized, they could not go beyond up into the next level atmosphere. Why not? Because if they didn't have air to breathe, what would have happened to them? They would be dead. 
They wouldn't make it. They had to have a source of life in order for them to breathe. And if they would have gone up into space without the cabin being pressurized properly, they would have died. How in the world do we live our Christian lives and not have pressurized spirit? How do we get through the day without having a pressurized cabin, this body, a temple of the Holy Spirit, pressurized in the presence of God, in the anointing of God, abiding in God, and expect to survive on the other side. Whenever we go and we say, God, we come to church, we fill up our inside, and then we go start making decisions, and we don't pray, we start killing our spirit man, we are depleting the life source of our body, of our spirit man, and we don't make it. A lifestyle of prayer is the source that keeps you connected to the one who gives you life. Prayer is dedication. Number two, prayer is, write this down, communication. Communication. Think back to when you were dating. Maybe you still are, Derek, and you're dating and you're having fun. And what do you do in that time? You talk all the time. Adrienne and I had classes together in college. We would sit next to each other and talk. After class, we would walk together to the next class. We would go to, to dinner together. We would sit out. We lived on a, um, a college campus where it was everyone was on campus. And so we would uh, sit out in, in, in the dorm area of that opening and sit out there and talk by the hour. Hours, and then we would go hang out together and talk. What were we doing? We were getting to know each other, finding out if we liked each other. I found out faster than she did. And so we find out these things, and uh, it's one of those things when you spend time together, you begin to learn what each other likes and dislikes. The more time you talk with God, the more you find out who He is, the more you find out what He likes, what He wants you to be like, how He wants you to operate, how He wants you to live your life. But it only happens if there's communication going back and forth between you two. If I was the only one talking with Adrienne, she would get to know me, but I would never get to know her. And I missed out on 50% of what there's supposed to be there. Whenever there's communication, it's two-way. There's me talking and listening, and there's God talking and listening. How many times do we come and say, God, I've been talking to you, but you're not talking back to me? Maybe it's because we're spending a little bit more time talking than listening. That's going to be our next week talking in the secret place. Okay? So, prayer is dedication number one. Prayer is communication number two. Prayer is number three, supplication. Prayer is supplication, and supplication simply means, write this down, request. It is our way to bring our request to God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When we make our requests known to God, verse 7 tells us that we will have great peace in our hearts and our minds. When you pray, you will have peace and you will be protected. When you are looking to make an adjustment in your life, search for peace. If you don't have peace, you will not 
follow God the way that God wants you to. Let me give you an illustration of this. Several years ago, Adrian and I went to go purchase a home. And whenever we purchased this home, whenever we walked in, really the house itself we did not love. But when we walked in, the view out the back, you know it's not our house now, but the story kind of applies to. The, the view out the back was absolutely amazing. It was on the green of the country club golf course. We had, which I'm a golfer, used to be golfer. And the, the, the number two green was right here. There was a pond here, a pond here. The tee box number three was right here. We literally had to walk out 15 steps in our yard and we were on the golf course. We didn't even look at the rest of the house. I'll take it. I didn't even care what it cost. I didn't care anything about it. I saw the golf course. I saw the view and I said, that's what I'm looking for. We bought that house and before we closed on the house, the house was already empty. This was before the times of, you can't find a house right now. This was years ago. We went and sat on the back porch of that house. We were looking out over the golf course and I said, isn't this gonna be great? I get to play golf every day. <laughs> this is gonna be so fun. And, and she's not a golfer, but she liked to drive the golf cart around. So we bought a golf cart, whatever, and, and drive the golf cart around. And when we were sitting on that back porch, I will never forget this. I said, it's not right. We're not supposed to buy this house. And she's like, why? I said, I don't have peace about this. And I said, let's just take a few minutes. And we sat on this wooden back porch. And I said, let's just pray here for a couple of minutes. And whenever we got done praying, I said, how do you feel about it? And she's like, it's not right. I said, no, it's not right. And you know what we did? We bought that house. <laughs> and I love to say I was super spiritual. Oh, God, yeah, we listened. No, we bought that house. <laughs> And honestly, we loved it. We lived there a few months and we were like, this is great. Bought a golf cart. I took out my six iron every day and I just hit six irons and got really good with my six iron. I just played golf every day for about three months and unbeknownst to us, three months later, God called us to move out of state. And we sold that house and whenever we sold that house, we lost $28,000. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money, especially whenever you're 24 years old. It's a lot of money. Not so much anymore. She spends that on a shopping spree on Thursday. I'm just kidding. But, um, and we learned a hard reality pretty early on in our marriage. If we don't have peace about something, we don't do it. Fast forward, you guys are going to be like, man, you ding that. On the 21st of this last month, can I tell this story? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we bought a, a, a Jeep Wrangler. Thought that would be fun. You know, my dad bought one. I was like, buy one too. My wife would buy one too. We're going to be Jeep Wrangler buddies. And bought a Jeep Wrangler in. Uh, the deal, no dealership around here had one. Actually, the one that we bought, he bought for us. Like we were looking at it the same day. He went and bought his. He offered more money, so he wins. And so uh, he got the Jeep. And so we had to look outside the state, and we found uh, another one that we were like, hey, this, this will work. We'll buy this one. And we 
put down a deposit on it, and they kept telling me, like, this is not refundable, this is not refundable, just red flag, like, this is not, like, under zero circumstances, this is not refundable. I'm like, well, man, what, what's wrong with the Jeep? It's brand new, there should be anything wrong with it. Yeah, it's fine. Put down a $1,000 non-refundable deposit, buy the Jeep, and so it's in Texas, we're here, we can't go pick it up, so they just mail us the paperwork. Well, on Friday, they mail us the paperwork, and the contract's wrong. Like, it just has all these weird numbers, but the bottom number is still right. So the price of the vehicle is still right, but all the other numbers up in there, something's not adding up. They put these rebates, they put extra stuff here. I'm like, this, this, and I called the guy, and I'm like, hey, this doesn't seem right. He's like, is the bottom number right? I said, yeah, he's like, all the other stuff is dealership jargon. Don't worry about that. I'm like, red flag. I said, yes, something doesn't feel right about this. And he, the dealership, the dealer, the, the finance guy was like, no, I promise you it's all okay. I said, okay, all right. Sign the paperwork, and this was Saturday at 3 o'clock. I called Ronnie, UPS Pro over here. I said, hey, are you guys still open? Can I drop this package off overnight? And he said, no, everything goes out at 3. It's 3.15. It's closed. You can't. So she drops it off at a different, it's not your store. He, she drops it off at a different <laughs> store, and it's just a package. She drops it off. I thought it was gone. She thought it was gone. On Monday, the dealership calls me and says, hey, did you get that paperwork sent out? And I said, yeah, we dropped it off at UPS on Saturday. You should have it, like, Today, tomorrow, maybe Wednesday, like you should have it very soon because it's overnight. And the lady said, are you sure it's in the mail? I said, yes. Red flag. Why are you asking for like the fourth time that this paper's in the mail? Red flag. Okay, yes, it's in the mail. She says, oh, okay, great. Hangs up the phone. Two minutes later, calls me and says, I forgot, I need you to sign one more document. I'm just going to text it to you. If you can just sign it just real fast, get over here, we get the paperwork all finalized, and we'll be good. And I'm like, how does that you forget paperwork? This is what you guys do. Like, something's fishy about it. So she, she ships, or she texts me the paperwork. I didn't look at it that day. Uh, it got, she sent me pictures of the Jeep, and it, like, it got mixed up in those pictures. I didn't see it till the next day. And so um, this is Sunday? Sunday night? Monday night, Monday night, because they call Monday. This is Monday night, and I'm like, uh, Adrian, look at this. This document that they're having me sign saying that basically it was beat to whatever with hailstorm, and that they had fixed it, but the warranty on the vehicle is no longer valid. And they said, any sort of paint chips, any sort of damage, any sort of uh, wear and tear on the tire, no, we are no longer responsible for this vehicle. You need to sign this dotted line right here. And I look at her, I'm like, I don't buy a brand new car without a warranty. This is ridiculous. Now I'm not gonna get the extended warranty, but I don't buy, you don't buy a brand new, that's just dumb. And she looks and she's like, well, well don't do that. I'm like, call my days. He's like, well, don't do that. I'm like, I don't think I should do it either. And so I'm calling Ronnie, I'm calling UPS. I'm like, we're trying to find the tracking. Can we stop this package from being shipped? I don't know what to do about this. Like they're gonna, they got, once they have it, it's theirs. I mean, I, contract signed, I'm, I'm now responsible for it. And all of a sudden she's like, hey, they sent me on UPS this deal. We can't find the tracking number. So we go, or I go Monday night at midnight to the store that we dropped this package off. 
I go to the back counter, and hopefully she's not watching online, but there was a lady in the back counter that she was oblivious to life. She was, she was there, but she wasn't there. And I said, hey, my wife dropped a package off, last name Chapman, on Saturday. Can you see if this package is still here by chance? And she walks over, and she's like, uh, this one? I said, that's the one. I said, why didn't that get sent out? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> they came and picked everything up. I don't know why this didn't get sent out. So, that story has nothing to do with anything other than this. Whenever, <laughs> whenever you're going through something and you don't have peace, you've got to find out why you don't have peace. It's because God is speaking to you because something else is greater concern. Whenever we started buying the vehicle, we were excited about it, but whenever we found out that there were issues with it, we looked back and all of a sudden we begin to see red flag here, red flag here, red flag here, red flag here. God was trying to protect us. I don't think God cares if you buy a Jeep or not. He's excited and he, he, he likes you being blessed. And even God in the blessing wants you to have the right one for you. I'll show you one more. Okay. Um, my dad's here, so maybe I'll make trouble for saying this. Uh, they bought my mom a, uh, a little Toyota a few months back, uh, and my mom was like, this isn't the one I want. She walks into this one, and she's like, this one feels right. She bought it. Well, six months later or whatever, dad's like, hey, let's buy her a Jeep. And so she goes and takes that car. Now, this is the car she said, I feel like God wants me to have. And whenever she says these things, I trust it. When she says, God says, I'm, I'm, I've been following her for 38 years. I believe what she's saying. She's got a great track record. And she buys this car. And um, dad's like, hey, let's give you a Jeep. And that'd be kind of fun for you to drive around. And instead of this, sorry, Adrian, old fogey car. She, she has the exact same car. But she wants, dad wanted to drive like a little younger, hipper car. And sure enough, they take that sucker to the dealership. And they make a bank on that thing. They sold that thing six months later. And made a ton of money, way over the the price they paid for it. I'm not talking like a thousand. I'm talking they made bank. Let's go. Let's all go Hawaii vacation. You all paying for it type vacation here. Like they and what was going on? Let me tell you this. She had peace about it, and God knew that six months later they were going to sell that, and prosperity came. So what I'm saying is, search for peace. Whenever you're praying, whenever you're going through your life, search for peace. And hopefully by those three illustrations, it's kind of weird, but you get the idea. Search for peace. Whenever you develop a lifestyle of prayer, you're going to learn that you're going to have peaceful situations come into your life. And you find out in the peace, God is speaking to you. The lifestyle of prayer that you begin to establish is not just praying, it's God speaking back to you. And so if you live apart from the peace, if you live apart from seeking after God, you will no longer hear the voice of God in different situations. And God wants to speak to you. That's part of communication. You get that? Okay. Number four. Prayer is an is cooperation. Casey, you can go ahead and come on up. Prayer is cooperation. John 14 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same, will do the same works that I have done, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. 
You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Prayer that is God-inspired is prayer that is limitless. Prayer can get us anything that God wants us to have. Your part in the lifestyle of praying is praying. God's part in the lifestyle of praying is doing. You pray, God does. D.L. Moody once said, every great movement of God can be traced to a single praying, kneeling person. For God to change your life, prayer is a requirement. God wants to use you. God wants you to grow dependent upon Him. But it's going to become from a person who prays. Have you ever seen uh, those big houses, like castles, where they have like these ginormous doors, like 10, 12, 14, 16 foot door, entry doors to get inside them? Now that piece of wood weighs 15, 1600 pounds. Can Kevin go over and pick up that piece of wood? He's strong. He got big muscles. It's too heavy. But if you take that piece of wood and you lean it in front of the door, can you move it? Probably not. You might be able to nudge it, but you won't be able to open and close it. But if you take that 1,500-pound door and you put hinges on that door, that go up and down with little effort you can move a 1500 pound door in your notes prayer is the hinge that opens the doors in your life prayer opens doors because prayer becomes the hinge that allows your doors to be opened When you get through life, you can pick up that wood. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be hard. You can fumble your way through things. But if you pray, the door opens. And so this month, I'm going to ask that you become very intentional about your prayer life. Thank you for tuning in today. For more content like this, visit our website, www.pathwaychurchok.com, to see the variety of ways you can download this content and so much more. It's our pleasure that you would tune in, and we believe that if you take the content you just heard, write down the parts that spoke to you, and work on a plan to apply it, you will not be the same person a year from now. We hope today you can take this content, apply it, share it, let it change you, and you can become all God has called you to become. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll be together again soon. Until then, keep growing.